Try again. Good morning. <clears throat> okay, well, I tell you what, we are the faithful sojourners here. It is a holiday weekend, and there was rain, so a lot of PTSD triggering, <laughs> and y'all are here anyway, so that's awesome, and uh, praise the Lord. Just seeing everyone here is a testimony to me of the Holy Spirit um, moving and working, um, because what else would compel you to come out, get out of bed on a Sunday uh, in the rain and come to church? I mean, to hear a sermon from, some part, from someone, um, you know, that's going to convict and hopefully convict and move and challenge and uplift. So praise everyone that's, praise God that he's moving everyone to come here this morning. Uh, I'm thankful to be here and to share this sermon uh, because it's the sermon, I think, like the American story, David and Goliath. David versus Goliath. It's been told so many times, and uh, it's just fun to hear. If you literally just read 1 Samuel chapter 17, you just get inspired. It's like, it's like a story from a, from a, from a tale, um, not an actual real story, a powerful story of overcoming giants. And as I was preparing for this sermon and praying and asking what can I say that people haven't heard before? I mean, who's heard the story of David and Goliath before? Yeah. I mean, if you haven't, then, man, what are you even doing here? No, no, no. Uh, what can I say from the Holy Spirit today? <clears throat> and what came to mind was the title here, <clears throat> From Bethlehem Comes a Deliverer. Just from a place that you don't expect. There's a, a verse in the New Testament where one of the disciples, Philip, says, talks about Jesus, and he says, nothing good comes from Nazareth. But we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so out of places that we don't expect, that we can't, we don't, we, we overlook, comes deliverance. So we're in a sermon just for the next couple of weeks about risk, called being risky. And being risky is hard. It's risky to face our deepest fears. It's risky to face our hardest challenges. It's risky to confront the sin in, in our hearts, the, the sin, the corruption we see around us. It's risky to face that. It's risky because it comes with the cost to really stand up to the hard things. Uh, if it's something in us, the cost is our ego, uh, not feeling good about ourselves, being wrong, or the cost of confronting someone else, the fear of their disapproval, the fear of them not appreciating you or speaking down upon you. Or in society, it's risky to confront sin or, or difficulty or even oppression because you're going to be on the outside. And ultimately, when we face the hard things, it eventually could, and eventually it will cost our life. Um, the consequence of facing death, facing sin, facing evil, causes death. And we're all facing that today. Anybody here planning to live forever in this life? No. Rick back there said he plans to. 
I believe you, Rick. You're looking good in your 60s, man. <clears throat> For everybody else, we're all facing the great beast of death, and it's going to cost us. So when I think about that, and all the difficulty that we, that we go through, and that God, I believe, is asking us to face every day for him. The risks he's asking us to take to speak for truth, to live in truth, and to be delivered from sin. It's so beautiful that this story in 1 Samuel 17 is about a little boy from a town that no one even really heard about. And from that town and that little boy came freedom. So as I, before I go further into that, let's watch a video that's telling us this very awesome story.
How many of you were like, whoa, they actually showed that? Yeah. <laughs> we, we are real up in here, okay? The Old Testament is, is rated R, all right? For, I call it rated R for righteous, all right? For righteousness. Um, let me pray. I want to pray real quick. <clears throat> Lord, <clears throat> we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for everyone that has heard your call to come together in fellowship, to join together and be here together in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit working in powerful ways like we just saw in that story. And we look forward to hearing your word and living it, believing in your word and being empowered by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So that story is so good that you don't have to really hear it to know what's going on, right? I mean, it's a good story. Even just watching the images, we know what happens. There's a bad guy, he's bigger and badder. There's a good guy who's smaller and weaker in appearance, but mighty, mighty and more great because of who he's, who he's representing, and the good guy wins, right? A question that came to my mind in, doing, in preparing for this sermon is, why was Goliath taunting them for 40 days? Why was the nation of the Philistines even there? Why was there oppression even present in the land to begin with? If they were God's people and they were following the Lord, why were there bad guys? Why basically do bad things happen or bad experiences happen in this world? And some would say to good people, but Theologically, is that even fully true? <laughs> you see, when you read this book of Judges and many stories in the Old Testament, there is an enduring theme in the Old Testament and in the New that I think is not as common. And the theme is this, is that God really cares about the land. He cares about purity of the land, either a region where his people live or a place being our hearts, God really wants the land to be pure. And when there's sin in the land, when there's, a pre when there's darkness in the land, when, when his people aren't living for God, or if there's darkness that pervades, he allows oppression. So oppression and darkness is not simply just because it comes. It's not bad guys just don't arise out of anywhere. And that they're just here to be bad to good guys. In the Bible, God is more powerful than anything. Do we believe that? God's more powerful than anything? That he has control over everything? Amen? So when there's oppression and darkness, God is, has allowed, is allowing that so that his people will repent and believe. So that wasn't happening. And Israel. Israel, when they, when they took the land, it was all good, good times. But after the good times, there was darkness and sin that began to pervade in the people, disorder, 
And because of that, God allowed oppressors to enter, to harass his people so that they could, so that they would, hopefully, he believed, repent. Judges 13.1 talks about this. Judges 13.1, verse 1 says, again, so this happened before, before, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. So there it is. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So again, God handed them another oppressor so that in hope, in his love, they would respond in repentance. But the thing about that is that it takes a risk. It takes a risk to respond the godly way to sin. It takes a risk to respond the way God wants when we are being oppressed or harassed or when we are exhibiting darkness and oppression in ourselves because it's not, it's not what the world says to do. But when we do it, the giants go away. When we do it, God sends deliverance to take away the giants if we take the risk. So Goliath was a Philistine. And so what we're seeing here in the story with the Philistines and with Goliath and his taunting and the Israelites, is it's all God really kind of really in control here, hoping and believing in that someone will come up and believe and free the people so that someone would desire freedom from the sin in, in their life and that they would take the risk. See, repentance takes risk, and repentance requires trust. And also requires humility. It takes saying, I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do here. I'm not the one that has enough strength or power to stop what's going on in my life or in my circumstances. So I surrender to God. And he's going to do it. First Samuel 17, 16 says, For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. So this is a stage here. You know, when I think of battles that happen in, in, in movies, it's pretty uh, adventic. You know, the, 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 the bad army's there, and the good army arrives, and then there's a bunch of shouts, right? And then the bad army gives his general, he gives his shout, and the good army has a general that gives his shout, and then there's screams, and they both run to each other, and the battle is, is going on. And then in the end, the good guys win. That doesn't happen in this story. For 40 days, Israel, the Israelites would muster up courage, and they would get prepared, and they would put on the armor, and they'd go out to fight. And they would sit there and fear and do nothing. They would look at the Philistines and do nothing. Not one day. For 40 days. And every day, Goliath would walk up in front and taunt them. 
twice a day. How many of you feel that way right now with a challenge in your life? That there's something that every day it seems like it's coming at you and you just don't know if you have the power to take it on. Anybody? The honest ones, thank you. Well, I'll raise my hand too. You see, I, there are things in my life that I thought I could handle. Even before you now, the task of even being in ministry, I thought that I could handle on my own. You know, you go to seminary, you learn all the skills of being a good speaker, <laughs> then you graduate from church school, and then you submit a resume to get a job in a church to where you can be working a job as a pastor. It sounded all pretty simple to me when I heard about it. And I definitely felt like God was calling me, and I still do now, to be in ministry. But as I've gone down that path, I've realized that the call to be a minister in the church is really a call just to be a follower of Jesus. And being a follower of Jesus is really, really hard. Not because it's greater than Jesus, but it's greater than us. Amen? Being a follower of Jesus being a follower of Jesus and following God and doing things the right way, the righteous way, is not greater than Jesus, but it's greater than us. And so for so many years and for so many days, I'd get up and hear the call to stand before God and fight the devil, fight the giant. And I'd go with my power. I'd go with my energy. And every time I did that, I would lose. And it happened for a long time. And I think really, honestly, I'm getting it more that I'm not David in the story. We're not David in this story. We can't fight nine-foot-tall giants that have 120-pound bronze armor and sling a spear that's 15 pounds. And it has an armor bearer that walks before him with his sole job, his sole job is just, just, just to carry the spear. I'm sorry, the, the shield, because it's probably really heavy. We can't beat those guys, whatever they are. And we're not meant to beat those guys on our own. But David is. But David is. And so in this story, for 40 days, Goliath would not even fight the Israelites. He would just stand up there and show them how powerful he was, and they would cower. And it took the humility of the army, maybe even the cowardice of the army, that's, and that's fine, to let a boy do it, and a boy that had faith. A deliverer from unlikely places. So as I stand before you learning to take on my own giants, I'm learning more and more that it's not me that God's asking apart from him. It's me with him. 
that whatever God has put before you to do, that giant is really huge. And he's not asking you to do it without him. Because you're not going to do it. You're not going to make it work. He's asking you to do it with him. And even if you fail with him, he may ask you to do it as he does it. And you just watch him do it. <laughs> He's asking us to believe in a David. So, but to get there, I think he really has to convince us that the, the battles that we face are greater than ourselves. And that the oppression that's in this land or that the sin in our hearts can't be outwilled by good behavior or better income or uh, a good haircut or, or whatever, <laughs> that it's going to take Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. So when there's sin in the land, it's really oppressive. And it comes in kind of two ways. When God allows giants to enter the land, it happens in two ways. It happens internally and it happens externally. So I want to focus on internal oppression first. When you are feeling these things, there's a giant that God's asking you to surrender over. So original sin, that we were born into the world with sin. And so everything that we do is already going to be contentious. That we're going to have really bad ideas about doing things that's going to hurt us because we are born into sin. And that's something that people don't really fully believe all the time today. There's a lot of belief sometimes in the church that if we work really hard at something, that through human power and through optimism, and we're going to figure this out. But what the scriptures say is there's a giant in our DNA that requires a deliverer. All right, then, then apart from that, there's addictions. There's, there's porn addictions. There's drug addictions. There's status addictions. There's that desire that I need to be known today. So let me check my social media. Let me see that, they, that people like that field trip I went on. Let me see that, that that new angle, that new filter that I took of my face is getting enough likes. Anybody? That's a giant in the land. Drug abuse. So here's some more physical ones. Self-harm that we do to ourselves, thinking it feels good, but really we're killing ourselves. As far as heroin addiction, it's tripled, literally, from 2003 to till 2014. Studies found that heroin addicts tripled in their use. Uh, we, I have a family member right now that is dealing with that issue. And this member recently OD'd on heroin. A member in my family. This person is alive today, thanks to the Lord. But this is real. Marijuana use has grown. And interestingly, because of marijuana use, the opiate use in the last four years has kind of leveled off. 
So people are trading another drug for another one. So there goes that. People are hurting, and they're going to methods to run from the pain. There's oppression in the land. And people are trying to find any answer to kill the giant. Uh, as far as external oppressors, we live in this thing the Bible calls the fall. So not just my sin, but all of creation has fallen because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so not just me, but the birds outside and, you know, and, and disease and, and cancer. Uh, your car not driving with optimal miles per gallon efficiency. <laughs> you know, the fall. Things aren't going to work out the way you expect them to because of the fall. Because there's sin in our very creation, in our very existence. Now, this looks like in many ways, and one way that God put on my heart where I've seen this uh, in the last couple of years is just in our justice system. Uh, police, how our police handle how we handle justice, police brutality. Just hurting people who are not over asking for overcompliance and then throwing them in jail. Uh, one thing that I thought of, I saw was unequal sentencing for the same crime. So if someone uh, is doing the same crime as another, they get way more years in jail for it on average. And this has been racially divided. They've studies have shown this to be actually racially organized. Here's one stat that came to mind. Blacks and whites use drugs at similar rates, but imprisonment of blacks is six times that of whites in the U.S. Here's one I thought I saw too. Though blacks and Hispanics make up about 32% of the U.S. population, they comprise 56% of the prison population. If blacks and Hispanics were incarcerated at the same rate as whites, the jail population would decline by 40%. The U.S. makes up about 5% of the world population, and yet 21% of the world's prison population are Americans. Here's one that broke my heart. Two, suicide rates are just going crazy. And actually, the highest suicide rate are amongst whites. Second, that to Native Americans, and the lowest suicide rate is amongst blacks. There are giants in the land. And I think it's hard to see it because we are very blessed, I think, a number of us probably in here are very uh, blessed, probably financially and relationally and health-wise. And so I think it's harder to see these oppressions that are present in our world, but they are definitely there. And there are people who are hurting that, that are wealthy 
and that have a lot of things that are going for them that are literally killing themselves. What is going on? There is a giant in the land, and God is wanting a deliverer. And that deliverer is not going to be an easy answer. It's not going to be a simple solution that we can all pay money for and someone else just does it. It's not going to be just voting in someone and we can sit back and watch them get to work. It's going to take something greater and more risky than we could ever imagine. And thankfully, that's already been done by Jesus. And he's asking us to be a part of that. You see, what God is asking when we incur and we experience these challenges before us in our society is for the land to be clean. He's asking for clean neighborhoods, for our country to be cleansed, and for our hearts to be cleansed. And he's not asking for a solution that can be done without some pain. He's asking for repentance. He's asking for a David to come in and to humble our intellect, to humble humble ourselves, to humble humble our abilities and let him do it. What was very profound to me about the David story as well is that when David came before Goliath, he was before an army of men. And so that was a system in place to actually free people from oppression, and they weren't doing it. So the solution to what God wants us to do does not come from just a system. 1 Samuel 17, 25 says, Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. Have we seen the giant? So I I shared some statistics here and some conditions, but have we seen the giant? What is the giant in this land, in your heart, in this church, in your family? Have you seen the giant? Who or what is your Goliath? Our Goliath. And are we trusting the deliverer? So again, I love this story, David and Goliath. And there's been so many times when I was literally inspired by the story for myself. I'd read the story, I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm the David. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to run those two miles that I don't want to run around the park because I'm David, man. I can take on this giant. Or I'm going to get up and really be a good Christian today because I'm David and I can take on this giant. I'm going to be a leader in the church today because I'm David and I can take on this giant. And what God is telling me to tell me to believe is there is indeed a giant, Howard. 
but you're going to need me. I'm going to need you to surrender. And that's going to be a risk. I'm going to need you to humble yourself. You may not understand why there's a giant here. That, those experiences may not be your experience, but I'm going to need you to humble yourself and believe in me so I can send my David. We have to repent and believe to find deliverance. So a deliverer from Bethlehem. We know that Jesus was also born in Bethlehem. And his status was not one that anyone saw coming. Born to a poor family in uh, a stable of animals. And he, was, and he is God. He is our king. And as he began his ministry doing miracles and doing powerful things. He was asking people to join him in that ministry, to free people from the giants. And John chapter 1, verse 43 through 46 says, as he's going around, Jesus found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth? exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Bethlehem? Can anything good come from Bethlehem? Little boy, go back home. Come and see. Come and see. So what God is telling me to say, has telling me to say over and over, is I don't need you. I need you to, to let me do this. And if you believe in me, the oppression will be lifted. The land will be healed, and there will be liberation and prosperity. And if you don't, Goliath will walk out every day and taunt. Every day. Do you believe in Jesus? That he is the, he is the David. That doesn't just free us from physical giants, but from this giant of sin and all of the external and internal factors that we are all suffering from because of sin. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? He is the David. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Here we go. Then if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and restore their land. This is a promise of God. That if we hear the call of God to repent as we are experiencing our own giants, God will heal the land. He'll heal your heart. Whatever you're going through right now, the pressure of work 
or the pressure of having gone back to work or the pressure of being a parent, the pressure of whatever it is, God said, that giant isn't meant for you to fight without, without me. If you hear me and repent, I will restore your land. I will restore your heart. I will show you that I am the deliverer from an unlikely place. So what does a cleansed land look like? Honestly, a cleansed land, I'm looking right at it. I think of Oikos. I think of us. We're here. We're choosing to follow God, and we are submitting to the Lord by being here in church. I think of the joy of going to missional communities that we do and the laughter that happens, the confessions that happen, the thankfulness that happens because we are choosing in the middle of our week to come together and seek Jesus together. I think of the possibility of seeing oikos everywhere. And by that, not just a program or a church, but a people submitted to Jesus, convinced that there's sin in the world and sin in our hearts, and that only through submission to Christ will we find deliverance. And so because of that, they open their homes, and they make food, and they pray together in Jesus' name. They come to church and they bring family members in Jesus' name. That's what I think of when I think of a cleansed land. I think of giants being knocked down because we believe in Jesus. And so the world is definitely under oppression. I just think about right now, we're in church, but think about those who aren't in this building right now. Think of a family member that you really want them to be here. Or you want them just to know Christ and see the power of Jesus. Think that the fact that they're not here. And that they're, think that they may be in a dark place. I have a memory, I have an image right now of a member of my family who I think is in a dark place. And that person needs to be with with Christ in his family. Think of harassed, oppressed people and that the only answer is God's kingdom. And that kingdom will only be brought if we submit, repent, and trust in Jesus so that he will deliver us and cleanse the land. Who wants cleanse land? Amen. Who wants to see the church in the hearts and in the physical spaces of everywhere across this planet? I do. That takes really believing that the answer isn't an army, isn't a system, isn't a government alone, but it is an unlikely deliverer from an unlikely place where we think in our sin nothing good can come from, but actually the only good comes from that place. 
And every day when I wake up, when I get up in the morning and I believe that, that's a good day. When I believe that Jesus is going to make my day the best day, that's a good day. Let's let Jesus fight our Goliath. Let's not fight it ourselves. Let's believe that Christ can work through us and through our church and through our families as we repent and take the risk of believing. And let's pray. Lord God, we praise you so much that you allow us to be harassed, that you allow oppression to happen. Not because you hate us. We know you don't hate us. We know you love us. You made us. But because you hope that we see you as the answer. That you see the unlikely solution as the answer to our giants. Lord, help us. Help us to overcome the seduction of finding an easy solution. uh, Even a, a sexy solution one that is attractive but really isn't of the Lord. And help us in the midst of whatever we're searching for, ultimately and through, through whatever we are praying for, find the solution in Christ alone, believing that only he can topple the giant. May we have peace every day, knowing that you, Lord, on one day was crucified and you rose from the grave. And that the grave is open. And because of that, we do have deliverance. And that if we trust you and seek you, we can sense that deliverance any moment, any day. And we praise you, Lord, that one day you said you will return and finish the job. And we long for that day. Lord, we pray now the way that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.